Joseph Arthur, and you're listening to Film Wax Radio. Hey, everybody. It's Adam Shartoff, your host of Film Wax Radio. It's uh, Friday, August 28th, 2020, and uh, this is episode 632 of the podcast. Today's episode, I am pleased as punch to have invited my good friend, who I think I've known for 41 years... Let that sink in, Jim. We actually uh, met at summer camp in the like in 1979, I think 79, maybe 80, uh, but I believe it was 79. So we became friends, uh, and um, he, uh, we kept in touch on and off over the years, mostly off, I have to say, until recently, where we've become reconnected in a much more substantial way, and I'm very, very pleased by that. He's a special man, and um, our lives have converged in a very positive way, uh, our interests and passions. And um, Jim is a, is a really exceptional, brilliant person. I don't mean to uh, embarrass him. It's a nice way to be embarrassed. Um, but he's so talented. Uh, for many years, he's kind of uh, juggling between being a songwriter and a, and a website designer artist. He's just uh, one of those naturally creative guys. Uh, Some years back, Jim created a band called Jim's Big Ego. They put out lots of albums. Go to Jim's Big Ego website and, uh, you know, or go to whatever, Spotify, wherever, and listen to his music. It's wonderful. It's fun. It's funny. It's touching. I own a couple of, number of his albums, actually, two or three of them. He was a touring musician, opening for lots of very famous talented people and um or or headlining and touring and playing all over he's based in the boston area now just recently jim in the last few years decided to finally reach another creative goal and this was to write a book it's a work of science fiction it's called the wakeful wanderer's guide to new new england and beyond and i have to tell you it's brilliant it's fantastic i am not, I mean, I was in high school and college, I was a big science fiction reader. And so, I mean, I read lots of science fiction back then, but it's been a long time. But it was such a pleasure to to read Jim's book. And I understand it's the first in a series, which it definitely feels like. You can order the book on Amazon. You can also Google The Wakeful Wanderer's Guide. There's a website uh, and finally, Jim Infantino has his own website, which will link interlink to the Jim's Big Ego and his book. Uh, and finally, as a web designer. And in fact, Jim is working on the Filmwax Radio website. So it's a very, very, uh, a little bit, getting a little bit uh, incestuous here, but why not? You know? Anyway, so we've been, you know, connecting between Boston and New York. Uh, and we said, and I said, Jim, come on to the podcast, you know? And so I had to twist his arm, but he, he, he uh, finally gave in. And what you're about to hear is the result of that. So again, look for Jim Speak Ego, the albums, the music. Also go to the Jim Infantino YouTube channel. 
every other Friday he's been doing home concerts, and I think the majority of them, a number of them, are up on that YouTube channel, if not all of them, I don't know. And uh, But every Friday he does a live concert at 5 o'clock Eastern. And so I think the next one's not t- tonight, but a week from tonight. And I, I try to duck in and watch those, and then he does a post-concert Zoom party. Well, this is uh, Jim Infantino, uh, the multi-hyphenate, very talented, creative, and my friend, right here on Film Wax Radio. Rise up, you lonely wanderers. Rise up, you hungry people. The hurricane is coming. The land will soon be flooded. The past is dead and over. Rise up now, claim your freedom. You are the sleeping giant. Arise, arise, arise. Do not beg for your salvation from preachers, kings, or masters. The people hold the power. Arise and claim your freedom. The wealthy enjoy services only at your acquiescence. Only while you stay in darkness. Arise, arise, arise. International. Mm. While politicals divide us, they demand their compensation. They should pray we don't refuse them. Arise and claim your freedom. The powerful and wealthy, they are only human beings. On earth, we all are. Rise, arise, arise While all of us were sleeping The stockholders got richer At the expense of all our children Rise and claim your freedom They are frightened by our numbers And by our interdependence And rightfully they should be Rise, arise How you doing? I'm doing good. Yeah? Yeah. Well, we're speaking with the author, musician, designer. What else? You multi-hyphenate son of a gun. Oh, um... Is there anything uh, I looked father, at? Uh, father. Uh, I'm know? a meditation teacher now. Um, oh, wow. Um, that'll do, I think. Yeah, that'll do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm everything but a filmmaker. Well, there's still time. Self-conscious. I start. (laughs) Right. Yeah. And you're on a film show, right? Yeah. So, well, I made, I was about to make my own first film. Literally a couple of weeks away from starting production and a little something called COVID-19 happened. And that put the kibosh, at least temporarily. We'll return to it once this is uh, behind us. In other words, never <laughs> at this rate with this fucking president. I laugh, but I also cry. I, know. I understand. <laughs> it only hurts when I laugh. Yeah. Anyway, this is the book we come to talk about. We're here with uh, Jim Infantino, author of The Wakeful Wanderer's Guide to New New England and Beyond. Um, I'm calling you. You're in... Um, Revere side? No, where are you? You're in, I'm in uh, Boston. Boston. I know in Boston, in Boston proper. 
Prapa. It's yeah. wicked awesome, by the way. It and is. Then, and then I am calling you from the Rhines. The Rhines. <laughs> I love. I love that. Part of the Rhines, for... actually. The I Rhines. know. Well, for those listening who haven't read the book, and shame on you for that. It's a good way to. Yeah, start by listeners. shaming. It's good. <laughs> your listeners is there's a it's a science fiction novel, but it's one of the things I love about it. This world you created is the names of what we will refer to places in the future, you know, that we currently live in. So a few examples would be one of the main places like your hero comes from is Revereside. Uh, Revereside? Oh, Reverside. Reverside, excuse me. I'm going to botch things up. Well, I don't, Re- yeah, I don't have pronunciation, uh, you know, Good. tables in there. Just don't, whatever. You don't need to treat your readers like uh, children. True. Me, on the other hand, <laughs> you, <laughs> you may need, a, I, I require a little handholding. But no, I, I mean, there are a lot of things that went over my head. Well, a couple of things. But, you know, because it's a really, uh, it's a deep, deep, it's deep book. It's deep. I think a second reading is in order. So if you could just hold on. I will wait here. Thank you. And I'll just give you a running commentary while you, um, yep, that's the, that is the prologue or the forward, forward. It was the yep. preface. Actually, it's the preface. The, oh, there's a preface. There's a preface, which you wrote, but there's I forgot a, there the, is, I've forgotten everything. I, I don't know. There is a forward by Scott K. Andrews. Yes. Who's, science fiction fans will know that name. He is great. He's a great author. I read uh, his series called Time Bomb, which is fantastic. Most exhaustive uh, time travel series of novels that I've, I've ever read. Um, just in terms of how much he kept track of what had happened in the past that was changed by what was going to happen in the future. It's crazy. Yeah. Is that, is it as hard for the reader or is it kind of, do you get the hang of it after a little while? Uh, it, uh, it isn't, no, it isn't confounding. As a matter of fact, it's very accessible. It's just that you realize, of course, as you get further into the book, that a lot of the things that, how does it work? A lot of things that are happening happened earlier because of the whole time travel thing. And they get increasingly locked into, uh, locked into a future mm-hmm. because of past, because of future choices that they made that it ended up in the past. It's, uh, I never would have, I don't know how he did that. Well, I mean, he may have the same reaction to your book. I mean, I did. I'm like, how, the, how, how, how did you do this? How did you create such an incredibly intricate, world that you know because it's so much of it is uh consistency and, and making sure everything makes sense and you know uh but i want to finish the what i already had brought up before we move on which is these towns that you riverside for instance which sounds mm-hmm. like riverside right maybe that was bastardized over time i was trying to get in the idea of dreaming into um okay. what what is now tarrytown and sleepy hollow uh, New York. Near you. Not terribly far. No, not near. Oh. Not, not that close. I think I'm like a good, that's, well, Westchester. Right. You're so Hudson I'm, Valley now? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty far up. I mean, I'm, uh, I'd say halfway between there and Albany, something like that. I don't know. You know where Kingston and Woodstock are? Oh, yeah. So I'm uh-huh. right across the river from there. Oh, okay. I'm on the east side of the river, the New York City side. Got so it. So Albany Post Road which you can take Route 9 from, right from the city, as you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Your own knowledge and research. And you can take that up straight up to Albany. 
obviously. But it, you, one road all the way. It's an escape route, as I remember. There are these escape routes from New York City people know. Oh, yeah. When it gets too much. <laughs> when doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. But certainly now, more than ever. But uh, anyway, but your hero actually goes a different direction towards New, new, new England, which uh, so he's going a little further north by northeast as opposed to due north where I am. Right. The Boston Post Road. Right. He takes the, the coastal route, which yeah. is changed. Um because of uh, sea level rise. And, and yes, and there are, and right, I shortened, the names of the towns are abbreviated in the book by the people who live in them, um, just because of the change in the way people are thinking. Um, huh. uh, there's a, that people's names are different in the, right. in the culture. Uh, and uh, the names of their towns are more like um, neighborhood names. Um, so, just a couple uh, more examples. Well, uh, there's uh, Coase, which is uh, for Cos Cobb. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, oh, Greenwich is still Greenwich, I guess. No, no, but then Sherwood is named after the hill and the street. So that has become kind of a sub-neighborhood, but is more like a town or a tribe. Mm-hmm. Um, Coase, um, Yale Havens right, that's um, a is uh, New Haven. Uh, is that right? Not New Haven. Yeah. Yale yeah. Haven, New Haven. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and then a lot of towns get kind of a new, new. Uh, the, uh, oh, the, uh, new Jersey has expanded to uh, New Jersey, Jersey, but also a lot of Pennsylvania and New okay. York. And that's just called the Jersey. Right. Uh, but that's kind of a throwback to revolutionary times. Mm-hmm. And then... Well, it's almost like, like there was a, almost a period where people reinvented their names based on clues that they had or something like that, that like nobody just sat down and decided, well, we called this place New Jersey once, but now we're just going to call it the Jersey. Uh, it, you know, it, it suggests that there was some sort of enormous cat- catastrophic thing, which almost like rebooted or wiped away the memory, the collective memory. And then people had to reinvent their geography. Yeah. I mean, That's the premise, the premise is definitely that there's been, such a level of upheaval by um, sea level rise, a dramatic level of sea level rise that um, has really caused people to rename, rethink, and start completely different cultures and economies based on the fact that the, the old way is, is swept away, literally. Mm-hmm. Um, and so rather than everyone kind of sinking into a zombie apocalypse, they do what human beings do, which is they adapt and change. And the book is just about the adaptations and the changes that, that people go through. You mentioned names, uh, people's names, the lineage aspect, which is our last name here in the, you know, in this country and in most of the West, we just use our last name as, a, as our lineage, uh, the follower mm-hmm. lineage, right? And it's patriarchal, we, right. typically, although it's changing. In, in, in your novel, and I love the explanation of it, you go with the, the female because, you know, how many people we know, even in our families, you find out, oh, that's... <laughs> yeah, not Wait, really your a, dad. As in my, I have cousins who discovered that they have siblings. In, oh, they discovered yeah. this in their 50s. <laughs> because of family secrets, I can't get into too much detail without uh, betraying family. Well, that sounds like a dangerous place to go. 
on a podcast. <laughs> I've, um, gone I've gone there a little bit, but in a, I've obscured, obscured the, uh, or left out names. Uh, but it's an int- the remarkable thing about, I'll, I'll only say this and then we'll return right to the way your characters are named, is that my parents who were privy to these secrets, which should have never been secret, by the way, because it's just, there's an explanation for it all. But my parents who never kept anything, never said a word to my sister. And I couldn't believe that they kept the secret, my, especially my mom. But, and, and when I found out about these, this information, I didn't even, t- I did not talk to my dad about it. I kept it going because I thought, well, he, he thought to respect these secrets and and then I still have not discussed it with my sister, for instance. Although, you know, I think this information is sort of becoming more common in it, uh, now. But, it, you know, when I was with these folks more, uh, the last time, I was finding out that, oh, okay. But they discovered siblings and all. It's, it's a long story, man. But anyway, that's why in your book, at some point, the I guess the human race, or at least those in the United States or whatever, this land is called, uh, decided to go through the female lineage because there are fewer errors. Fewer it's, errors. If, if, if nerds designed, know. yeah. Yeah. If nerds designed a naming, uh, a naming scheme, they would go the one that produced the fewest errors and the fewest errors come through the matri- matrilineal line because without exception, uh, at least for now, um, the mother's always there for the birth and, um, <laughs> it's, it's more reliable you know, not 100 yeah. percent reliable but it's more reliable and, and you can go back um trace your so my name would be i'm going to give away all kinds of things if i do that but you know my name would be uh jim linda bonnie lynn uh mame uh etc mm-hmm. yeah and um i didn't go back far enough but they they also go back really far and then each of those nodes has data that's associated with each of the nodes. So you really get a full sense of who a person is with their name. Also mentioning the fact that this is information is not, doesn't tend to be communicated verbally, but is communicated in a, a form of um, thought texting, which is sort of like speaking in the uh, data stream. So your uh, people right. are, are just sending each other messages via uh, neural implants. Right. Yeah. Right, which is something maybe that taps into other fantasy worlds that have been exi- existed, but you really have explored this in great detail. Uh, I was going to get to that next, but I first wanted to lay that down the land. The, the, the other reason why the, the matriarchal or the maternal lineage makes sense is because of currency. The reason we are named after parent, men and men, there's always been a uh, financial aspect to whether it's through dowry, whether it's through inheritance through that, that, that may right. explain the patriarchal That's right. way why we name, I, I, I think that comes up in the book. Yeah. It's property. It's non-labor, it's property, uh, property. non-labor right. income. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Whereas right. that doesn't, maybe that, Sorry. but that also changes in the book. Well, yeah. And you know, this so is the way people, there's a, economy. there are two societies. There's, there's a society that after this big upheaval that just throws away everything. And that's why I call it a cyber hippie travelogue because I was trying to think about what other cultures have, have been willing to just 
scrap it all and start again. And I was reminded really of the hippie culture, which mm -hmm. also became the nerd culture. Um, and you know, from the 60s, there was like the whole earth catalog. There was these kind of a back to the land movement. And you know, it worked and it didn't work, but the idea behind it was far more radical than say the era that I grew up in, which was like punk, where punk is like a rebellion. Hippie was not even a rebellion. Hippie was like, scrap it all, let's start something new. And that's very much like the interconnected side of the culture in this book. They reimagine everything and they do it as nerds. Um, but there's still that sense of total rebellion or total revolution in that mindset that comes more directly from hippie. It's more uh, of a renaissance yeah, than, than a revolution, than in other words. Renaissance. Yeah, right, a rethinking. A rebirth. Yeah. A rebirth. Yeah. Um, and, and there are a lot of positive aspects to it. And I wanted it to be something that would freak me out, which it does, and, and maybe even freak my kids out, you know? But their kids, maybe, not so much. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I think that's, that would be the mark of good science fiction. It's like your grandkids will find it normal, but you and your kids will probably find it weird. Mm -hmm. Hmm. And threatening. Yeah, I could see that. I could see it. Um, you said there were, that was one of the societies. Well, naturally. One of the cultures in the society. Yeah, and there is a, there's another, there's another, society living uh, side by side, that is much more of the traditionalist society, the anti-post-human um, society. These things exist now. So, I mean, there, there is a strong religious movement against any notion of post-humanism. Mm -hmm. um, there are videos you can find online about that. So, uh, it's just that in, in the book, those are the two major factions. There are the people who are technophobic, traditionalist, want to bring back the old economy, the markets, mm -hmm. uh, the hierarchy, the way of life, government, and the cyber hippies who are like, no, screw it, we've got a whole new way of doing things. Um, doesn't involve money, doesn't involve markets, doesn't involve government. It's, um, it's just, it's new, it's ours, and at every level they rethink how everything is done. Um, and uh, I actually think that's fairly realistic because this is kind of what people, people are able to do that. They're able, you know, when things change drastically, they change fast. And so mm. imagining for me was of, of, a, of a world where things have changed very drastically, very quickly. And the reaction to that. Mm -hmm. Well, if I can skip to your hero, Marteau, who is a real champion of, this post-human lifestyle, even though he's a very warm, affectionate person, he fully embraces this way of life. So he's the ultimate, uh, what did you call cyber? A uh, cyber uh, hippie, hippie, I guess, yeah. That's um, and, and, and yet, as we find out, and with no spoilers, he's confronted at some point during the story with it, with with information that rocks his, his world, right? Yeah. So it's an interesting dilemma that, that he's in because that he finds himself in. Much yes. like the people I was describing earlier in my panel. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. Where, right. where information comes to light. But um, 
it's it's a ultimately a book about ideologies that conflict you know that um you know but like like anybody can relate to that we're going through that right now yeah i mean i know it is it's a slow in some ways it's not there are no car chases and there are no gunfights well okay there are there's motorcycles and there's so the minimal guns minimal car chases um there's battles um a battle but it's not the main thing it's mostly that's mostly background right the foreground we're, we're really more involved with the foreground of the story there's conflict but the but i i was trying to write a story more about the inner journey of who are you right and um and that and and you know i follow i follow that along with a couple of the of of the characters in this mm-hmm. um who are who are you really what do you believe what do you stand for what are you going to do about it mm-hmm. and um I guess that makes it sound very boring, actually. <laughs> well, you know, there's, uh, throughout, there are entry. The, the hero, Marto, uh, is on a journey. He is traveling. He's a travel writer, essentially. And you read entries into his journal throughout the, the, the story. And there are occasional entries into his journal. But most of it is, the book is a story about him meeting different people with different ideas. It's a bit Odyssey. Uh, it's a bit of like the Odyssey in that regard, I guess you could say. There's a there's a long tradition, obviously, in this type of storytelling. I, I assume that impacted what you know you. Yeah, I'm a um, I'm I'm not um, you know I haven't read the Iliad and the Odyssey over and over again, but but the readings that I've done have stayed with me forever. I can't shake them, um, and there is a little of the Iliad here in the conflict. And there's a lot of the Odyssey in, in Mardo's journey, for sure. Mm-hmm. And Helen's, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, both, they both have their own, their own paths that are a bit like Odysseus. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's not, you know, it's, it's written in English. This is one important difference. <laughs> you, and, did, did you play with an, the idea of maybe, though, there are science fiction writers that have delved into language. You you keep the language pretty uh, contemporary. I do, yeah. So I thought there's got to be something to tie us back. There are some characters that have uh, kind of a lingo and a slang, but in general, I wanted that to seem unusual. Like just in any any place you go, you might run into somebody who's got a patois or a special way of talking. Um, I wanted to keep the rest of the characters talking the way we do now. Mm-hmm. Um, and... And, and that also extends into, you know, one of the characters is non-binary. Um, and I'm using the today's, uh, you know, pronouns for non-binary people. So I'm not trying to invent anything new around that. So, but I definitely thought about it. There, there were a couple of books that I had read that were written completely in the language of, you know, the culture of, the, of, a, of a dystopic future that are, are really tricky to get through and really exciting, I'm trying to remember the uh, Walker, uh, somebody Walker, Grimley Walker or something like that. Mm-hmm. It's, not, it's not a very long book, but it's written entirely in a kind of a broken English. Um, but that wow. becomes the whole thing. And I didn't yeah. want that to become the whole thing. Right. Sure. But yeah. And, and, and therefore the book feels really possible because of, uh, from an environmental standpoint, and in other standpoints, the book is 
not impossible to imagine happening or something relatively close to it. It, it, um, it's a, what's been a little freaky has been since I've finished it in 2018, a number of, uh, a number of new, like, you know, Gizmodo Twitter, uh, tweets have come out that I've been watching that or Ted talks that are the tech that are the beginnings of the technology that I'm talking about here. So, I mean, I guess it's not too surprising. The implants you mean? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, not so I mean, there are, you can have implants that don't go in your boobs. There are other that's right. that yeah. are that pin because it seems like what what's the point? You, I can understand <laughs> it's the breast enlargement only makes sense, but you're talking well, about right. but no, the idea of constantly connecting, we we are essentially implanted. Uh, we don't have hardware in there, but we it's exactly what's going on where now an enormous number of people cannot leave their phones off. They feel the unsatiable need to be connected and online. So really, what's the big difference? The speed, the speed and intensity of it. Sure, um, but you know what I'm saying. It's, we're right. not, okay, but that's just the speed and intensity. If you're, we're still doing it. It's not We're doing automatic. it right now, right, obviously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's true. Yeah. <laughs> Using a social media tool called Zoom. But you're able to, when you're walking around, people, when you're staying online on the grid, like your hero, Marto, who is walking, uh, doing travel writing about his experiences walking to, to the new New England, he's uh, people that are um, follow him and that are part of his network are able to view, to exchange thoughts and ideas. Um, and also there is a version of currency though that's kind of explored whether it's a real currency. Some people will say that, that it isn't, but when you, I think it's an interesting idea you're exploring because when you get to the bottom of it, nobody is pure and no. really benign. There's always a quid pro quo. There's always a quid pro quo. If you like somebody's page, you expect that they're going to like your page or like what your post rather, you, you know, and if they don't like your post, you're insulted if you admit it somewhat. I mean, there's this idea that, I mean, so that's explored in your book, but on a obviously larger level. Right. I mean, there, um, there is, and I think you discovered pretty quickly, there's just the introduction to that is in the first chapter of the scene where Marto is, uh, Marto is sitting in a place called the Lester Sunshine Inn, which was my entry point to the book. When I, when I thought of the Lester Sunshine Inn, I immediately had a place to start. Mm -hmm. um, and he's sitting there having done some writing in a virtual environment. Mm -hmm. And he thinks, um, I'm hungry, I'd like this sort of thing. And then he interacts with some people virtually. And then a few minutes later, somebody brings him that thing. And um, that's, the, that's the economy that uh, the interconnected people have, I guess, invented and embraced, which they view as far more efficient, right? So the thing that you want, if you are worthy of it, someone brings to you. And the gamification is by bringing it to someone of a higher worthiness, they, their worthiness goes up. Mm -hmm. So everyone is kind of, you know, uh, trying to find their position in the percentile of worthiness uh, or merit as I'm, I'm putting, uh, I'm using. And 
and and and I spent a lot of time thinking, okay, what are the what are the, how does that how does that totally play out? You know, can you really run everything like that? Because it is basically like our system of money, but turned upside down. You right. do you do the thing, um, and and doing the thing gives you a status, but not a unitary uh, measurement of your you know of your worth that you can invest or keep or hoard or be completely free of it's um it changes the way people think uh, jim infantino has written a book called the wakeful wanderer's guide to new new england and beyond as you can tell i just want to hash out some of the the elements of your book which should give people an idea of just how much thought and work went into it i don't want to give away uh, too much but it's really just about a guy who goes for a walk and right. all, the, all the cool people he meets on the way and self-discovery and um, the changing, this conflict between these two communities we discovered, those that are, have, have embraced being part of this network and then those who are more what we might call Luddite, right? To get, I've been yeah. I'm looking for a CD because uh, that the, uh, Jim's Big Ego CD I'm looking for it because uh, I, I I imagine as you're writing a song, your 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 songs and your style of songwriting are known specifically in terms of people notice. I think at the forefront of it, the the, the, the lyrics. I mean, oh, yeah. not to in any way minimize the music behind it, because but, but music is minimal. <laughs> well, you're more known as a unique song, uh, lyricist. Okay. Um, if we're just to be uh, reductive, okay. So I have to imagine you sitting or walking around, going through songwriting, maybe in your head. I don't know how you do it. Um, um, I, I want to draw a parallel here. You know. Yeah, it is. It so it's an both of them are empathic processes. So. I, I will overhear something or I'll think of a phrase or something will remind me of something that was on a, a podcast or some small phrase that somebody said. Are you saying you listen to my show and written some Oh, songs? yeah, constantly. <laughs> and then uh, I'll, I'll play it in my head uh, for a while. I might, that might suggest a character and then that character might suggest a situation and the situation right. will suggest a narrative for a song. And the, the relationship to the book and the, and the songs is not that far-fetched. I, I didn't want to write a book uh, because I didn't think I could. But when I started, I realized it's, hmm. it's like writing songs. You're, you're writing, I've been writing these little narratives uh, that last three minutes in rhyme. And I just needed to uh, take out the rhyming and extend them, but keep the characters and keep the situation. And then each chapter felt like a song. And then chapter after chapter, eventually the book happened. I didn't plan it out. So it, you know, it just became what it was. So that is the album I'm most for, uh, most proud of is uh, Adam's oh, Holding is it? Free. Oh, is it really? Is it? I just the, sort of, it's the one I have a couple, but. Oh yeah, was... I love that one. Oh, yeah, yeah, so. Beautiful album, actually. On the cover is a picture of a, because this is going to be audio or is it just for YouTube? Oh, we can do some video. We can do a combination, release them separately. It could be for my Patreon, which Great. I don't have. No. Uh, but there you go, free. Right, it's a it's a messed up old couch on a lawn on a on some grass, mm. and, it, and the title is free with a little asterisk at the top. 
when I was living in Boston in the 80s, a book came out, because I, I know because I worked in, the, in a store that sold books, called Red Couch. It was a photo essay book. It was like a coffee table book. Mm-hmm. And it just was the artist took, or a photographer just took this couch and put it in, a, you know, 40 different situations and took oh, a photo. I, I remember so this. I, yeah. yeah. It was kind of cutting, cutting edge at the time because I think it's been copied since that idea. So you, I don't know if you saw the, I, I don't know if it's the original, but this is called the red couch or something like that. Right. Um, and, and he just would put it like he'd be at a party or maybe he'd be, you know, on a ship or something. I don't know, but he would just put the, the couch there and then take a picture of it. It's interesting. Yeah. So I, I'm guessing he had a team of people that wanted, they were willing to move the couch. I assume so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. <laughs> maybe they want to he just throw it over what shoulder. they were thinking. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, sorry to interrupt you, but uh, that couch reminded no. me a little bit of that. Yeah, I mean, so you know, look, I'm just, I just love to make stuff. So um, if I can, uh, I'm sorry that it took me so long to figure out that I could, that I could write. I, I sort of needed to find that starting point for the book, but um, well, also I was being a parent at the time. It was really difficult. So <laughs> couldn't record any new albums. Um, that really put a, you know, really changed my creative life. And then. And I guess also this is a reaction to that change of life was, you know, moving to writing narrative from writing songs kind of saved me because it reactivated my soul as a creative person uh, who makes things. And, um, and now, uh, now it's exciting, you know, so I'm working on the second book. This, there's going to be three, I think, at least of the uh, Wakeful Wanderer's Guide series. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm writing a little bit every day and mm-hmm. moving along. Wow. Pretty impressive. Is it? I think so. <laughs> I feel like I don't have a choice. I like I have to do this. Yeah. I was kind of feeling the frustration. Um, I don't know how I put it off. Like, you know, the, um, I can relate though. If somebody makes things, I get that, you know, you have, else. um, you have you have a few episodes, I think, of this podcast. I'm not. I haven't counted all of them. It's more than twelve, right? You and then smaller than a bread box. It's less than two thousand, <laughs> and more than twelve. Well, episodes. yeah, but I, you know, I struggle with whether it's considered. I don't think it's artistic. You know, I think there's a creativity to podcasting because you're, you know, but I don't look at it as an artistic. As artistic, let's put it. Well, you have a voice and a style. I don't know how much more there is to it than that. Even in writing or in songwriting, I have a voice and a style. And I define my style for for writing books. But, you know, my songwriting voice and style evolved over a long period of time. Right. On that, of course, then, I mean, you have to... You have to craft the 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 podcast. I don't know that this is your you know ultimate favorite thing to create, Adam. But you're also a musician. I know this about you. So, yeah, and that's gratifying. I, I feel like even if it's for myself, you know, which is if there was a period of time where I was trying to uh, play music, where I did, uh, but I wrote a bunch of songs myself. But I found I well, first of all, I was, I was uh, not in a band, so I, I felt. Unless I was in a studio, I didn't feel some sort of motivation to be productive. Just performing wasn't uh, enough 
apparently, because I was just, not prolific. And, just performing by yourself or? or... Well, I played with, uh, by myself. I would sometimes bring in a band, like musicians that were in the studio that I brought, because I did record a bunch of the songs, but I never really, I mean, I was already too old in my mind, you know, very, I, I, my worst enemy, but I just said, well, I'm too old now to put together a band. And I probably was. I don't know that I could have put a band together or, it would have taken a, probably a tremendous amount of work to try to find a band and then to keep them because I was, a, I was writing the music, I was singing the songs and um, you have to find people who were willing to get on board with you to being the guy to do that. Uh, you accomplished that, but I don't know if, if your band had other gigs, did their own albums or were, you know, that's I'm sure. Not oh a- yeah. Yeah, I had many versions of the band. Yeah, right. um, Some of the members have gone on to do their own thing. Um, right. And I just think I'm really lucky to have had them for the period of time that we were able to play together because, you know, obviously they had their own, they had their own ideas. They had their own thing they wanted to express. Exactly. They were willing to play for, for a while, at least in my, in my project. And now the band is, you know, they all have, they all have their, their various projects. Uh, the drummer is a producer, a uh, bass player, um, uh, is a really creative guy. He's played on a bunch of different projects and uh, and uh, works at a, a kind of a large sound company. Um, and Josh Cantor is um, the organist at Fenway Park. So oh, right, right, right. Yeah, and 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 yeah. he goes out on tour when he's not playing with us. He's playing, when he's not playing with us, he's <laughs> well, right now we know he's not with, playing at Fenway. So with like members of REM and you know, right. Wow. Yeah, you know. so he's touring all around the world. Peter um, Buck, for instance. I just feel lucky, you know. When I, anytime I get to play with those guys, I just feel lucky. Yeah. Well, when did you start in earnest? When did Jim Speak Ego, for instance, become a thing? Oh, okay. Uh, 1995. Uh, I, I decided that um, the folk world was, um, was great, and I loved it, but I didn't feel really totally at home there. Uh, and I wanted to be able to express... Um, more i wanted to be able to get up and scream and yell and i wanted a lot of noise i wanted a distorted guitar exactly what bob dylan said 25 years before that did he say that i don't (laughs) think he said that i think he felt that yeah he may maybe i don't know what i don't know what he's thinking man not anymore but i'm just thinking Uh, back then you can see anyway i think that is the same tension and i just had uh, i don't know you know josh rouse the singer songwriter yes he's he has his own thing he does. And I asked him, because I always sense something by, I don't know what it is, maybe interviews or his music or his presentation. But I asked him right at the end of my interview with him, and it was on just a few weeks ago. And I said, do you, do you, have you struggled with the idea of the label singer-songwriter? And he said, yeah. I thought so. Because I just felt like you don't want to be... It's like folk musician. You have to let go of the labels ultimately, right? You do. But you, everybody you goes have through to. The, yeah. yeah, you have to. People are going to call you a folk singer. They're going to say, man, you remind me of Joni Mitchell. No matter yeah. how many years you've been doing whatever you do, you don't see it at all. But enough people say it. So you just say, yeah, thank you. It's Joni a little Mitchell, like if, you, not too if bad. you, uh, if you're bald and you shave your head, you look like every other guy who's bald and has ever shaved his head. Um, I never had a struggle with that. <laughs> no, you don't. Other, but it's funny. Yeah, but really I never impressive. thought of that. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, surgery. Uh, oh, surgery. Well, good for surgery. <laughs> um, but yeah, singer-songwriter is a hyphenated thing. It means that you're not just a singer or you're not 
mean, what are the what are the alternatives? You're, you could be the songwriter and never sing. You could be the singer well, and never of, write. Yeah. Well, you yeah, kind of skirted it a little bit because you created an entity called Jim's Big Ego. Right. And that's all Rouse said he had to do. But he just right. never, no, he never could come up with the right name, you know. And at a certain point, you're, you are Josh Rouse, you know, or you are Jim Infantino. Right. But you came up with Jim's Big Ego from the get-go, it sounds like. And so which is so it's kind of self-deprecating it pokes fun at yourself and uh so you know it's just a perfect name for a band and it well, obviously yeah, and caught on you had a cult following there i mean we have we are um we are globally obscure that is uh, <laughs> that's a good thing you if you go to new zealand uh-huh. and you're at a party it's very possible you run into two jim's big ego fans well my experience was being in florida getting ready to go on a cruise. I was staying with family in Boca. <laughs> and Boca. I have younger cousins. They were college age or something like that. And, um, you know, we were talking about music or something and they brought up Jim's Big Ego. I said, what? <laughs> How do you know about that? Oh yeah, he's great. So I said, let <laughs> pull out my phone and I called you. <laughs> yeah. I hadn't talked to you in a long time, that. so it was like a nice... Well, story. and, uh, you know, it should be said that we, we, uh, we go way back, actually. You, you do, I. I know. Well, you yeah. and I? Yeah. Oh, yeah, well, well, well it's true. I, I know that I, I remember teaching guitar a little bit at camp yep. the summer of 79 or whatever it was. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was probably summer of 79. I'd only been playing for two years myself, like back then. That, but that was it. And, and uh, I don't think I've learned any other uh, chords. I think that's, I stopped. <laughs> I, don't, I don't believe that. <laughs> I listened, no, I listened to some of the early things. And I'm like, oh, I, I, haven't, I haven't learned anything new. <laughs> I only know this, these things. Um, Did you ever take I, guitar lessons? Like, uh, like real guitar lessons? Uh, somewhat, yeah. I, I, learned, I learned a lot from a guy named Jeff Bartley, mm-hmm. who's up here in... in uh, in Boston, in, oh I, no, he's out of town now. He's in Massachusetts, mm-hmm. and um, he's a genius. He's a total guitar genius, and it was—it's a little uh, frightening learning from him because he's—it just you're just never gonna know everything that he knows. And um, and he has—I learned like you know the steady thumb. Like I didn't learn how to do it, but I learned that there was a thing called a steady thumb. I never heard. And of I'll, I'll never have so, one. You know, what is that? Oh, in blues, you know your your thumb and your picking hand. The steadiness of the thumb is like the rhythm, you know. Oh, like a metronome. Yeah, and it takes a long wow. time to get that right. Sure, I was just watching. I mean, I watch. I listen to a lot of new stuff, but I was listening to. Just came upon like Steve Forbert. Remember Romeo's oh, yeah. tune? Remember that guy? He must play at Passim's. I I opened for him. I think at at uh, the Iron Horse. <laughs> I saw him at Joe's Pub once, but. There's something so soulful about his voice, you know, and, and again, another guy who you could say he's a folk artist, but I don't really even use that term, except for as it applies to Pete Seeger and Woody Guthrie and those, those, oh, yeah. those types of people. But I don't really use folk too much, just for my own. It doesn't really, I'm pretty pure about that term. And there was like kind of two types of folk music. And, um, you know, there was like the labor songs and that kind of thing. And then there was that revival of time in the 50s and 60s, Ian and Sylvia, you know, Pete Seeger, the Weavers, the 
Kingston trio, the new somebody, new city ramblers, whatever. Right. I don't know, but they were all those were folk singers to me. And then from that, and then also like Dave on Ron, you know, Ron, and Woody and D and Dylan would have fallen into that, except that he departed from that, and he went right. became a rock star, you know. And he um, so uh, I don't apply folk, to, even though it's used a lot, even by the industry, you know. But anyway. Um, I brought that up for a reason, and uh, now it's because I don't shut up. I can't, can't remember why, but uh, um, Song, songwriter is a great term. I don't, I would never mind ever being called songwriter because that, that in a weird way that puts the emphasis on the creation. And I have to be playing for people to write songs. I have to know. I was that, talking about Steve Forbert, but he was just. I'll come back yeah. to it. But finish your thought, please. No, I want to talk about me. I don't really give a crap about Steve Forbert. I was going to cover. I know either, but uh, but he was he plays he puts a board on the floor and he he keeps beat by oh yeah with his shoes because he wears hard heeled shoes anyway go ahead I'm I'm sorry that's like the steady thumb that's another that's another blues technique yeah I couldn't I couldn't ever oh my goodness the podcast is ruined um yeah I'm I I lost my train of no the rhythm you're talking about this being as called a songwriter as opposed to a singer-songwriter singer song, right that a songwriter I mean, really defines it's an acceptable term you know i think of yeah i just think of the songwriter as like where you're creating you're creating these these things and mm -hmm. um and and naturally you'll you'll want to perform them i mean I, I'm, I'm making an assumption there mm -hmm. but i can't write unless i know uh someone will hear it eventually so i'm in some way i'm writing it for the enjoyment of people. There's a, there's some generosity involved. Otherwise, it just doesn't. I don't get inspired to do it unless I can picture that it might be fun or amusing or depressing or enlightening or something for people. You know that it might that might touch their heart in some way. Then there's all that motivation to want to finish or create. You know something for those people. Do you think there um, are songwriters who? It's like a novel, like somebody writing a novel who you always imagine an audience, don't you? I mean, when do you, I don't, do you think you're right? Anybody writes a song without it being for people to listen to? I don't, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if anybody's out there, but of course we wouldn't know, right? If somebody's just writing, right. he's in a cabin, exactly. she's in a cabin, if they're a in a cabin. in themselves. the woods. Yep. <laughs> and they don't care, they're playing for the Grizzlies. And the Grizzlies love it, so maybe but it's, then it's for the Grizzlies. Um, I don't know. Uh, uh, I know that if I can jump back to the book again. Yeah. So this is the most exciting thing for me now because it's a brand new thing, right? It's a brand new activity for me. So that's yeah, sure. I naturally just want to talk about it all day. But um, the the book was a different level of inspiration, um, which I got on a bus. Mm -hmm. And uh, and I remember the moment oh. I got the inspiration for the book. It got as you like. How do you do this? What happened was the whole thing like dropped into my head. Downloaded. Yep. Like an from, you know like an implant from, like software whatever yeah. whatever right the god there is whatever that is it downloaded this into your. And I was I I was Josh actually and I were coming back from a gig in New York, and and Josh was like, "Are you okay?" Because <laughs> I was like, "Whoa." You know, and then I spent the rest of the bus ride talking to him about the idea. And then I spent the next like three to four years talking to people about the idea for the book. Okay. Because I couldn't stop thinking about it. 
and yeah. all and then I, and all the details that are in there got worked out you know during yeah. those conversations but i became the most annoying party uh, person at any party because that was all i wanted to talk about and i realized you know now now you have you're to gonna, nobody's yeah. gonna write this you have to write this right it doesn't matter that you don't know how to do it you need to sit down and find the starting point and and write it you could have written this made it a screenplay yeah, I don't know. I don't know how, you know, equally, I didn't know how to do a screenplay. Um, and I don't know if I th mm -hmm. think in terms of... Um, I have Cinema, talked, cinematic is, language. Is that it? Is Whatever. that is, just, kids are I'm just it? trying to, just helping you out. I don't know. I don't know what is you're it, going to say. And is it still on film? Do they use film? No. Okay. Um, uh, I have actually, as an exercise, mapped out some of this book, you know, into episodes, like sort of oh, fantasy yeah, kind of. Sure, right, because uh, it is like the part. Odyssey. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, because a lot happens. I don't know how you'd make it into a two hour film. You don't need and to. I, I think you, you're right. Maybe it could be done as a series, you know. It's very possible. Yeah. There are some hurdles. Uh, just because the storytelling takes place, it's very mental in a weird way. Um, yeah, there's always ways to figure that out. You're not doing it direct, you, you got to adapt it. Yeah. Yep. I mean, a lot of the communication is silent. So um, that's weird, but that could be. No. Open. Yeah. You, there's always ways to figure it. This is the book we're talking about. You can buy it now. Go to your book online bookstore that you, you purchase books from. It's actually only on Amazon right now. It may be on others soon. That but one. It's only on Amazon right now. <laughs> and there's a Kindle. Is there a Kindle edition, by the way? Kindle, and I'm working on the audio. You are? And you are? I am. I thought you would, yeah. you would ask me to do that because of that voice that you. <laughs> I will. I should have. I can't imagine that would be torture, but I guess I, do, I would do it for the right price. Yes, it is. A website, for instance. <laughs> it may be. It's hard. Um, yeah. I'm learning to do an audio yeah. book. It's acting. Uh, it is acting and, and, and you have to, you know, pacing and a lot of sitting in a sound booth um, in utter silence just with your voice. But uh, I think it had to be me because of my Jim's Big Ego fan base. And I just figured mm. it would be a letdown for them if it wasn't my voice, even if it's right. a little suckier right. than, you know, the other. No, the I other think it's a great, unless you get somebody like Kenneth Branagh or... And uh, who, yeah, do you, can I get his phone number? Because I was just thinking, actually, that would be... Sure. Yeah. Thanks. It's uh, 555. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny because a lot of people do ask me from time to... I was just asked last week, I, this woman is doing a uh, some article or something. She's a writer. She works for this Jewish publication or something. But she's doing something on humor-based. And she said, so she wants, like, she saw that I had Barry Sonnenfeld on the show and you know, she wants to reach Rob Ryan or she just thought, oh, I'm the conduit because I, I like, people ask me all the time, can I get so-and-so? I don't have their, you know, they're a publicist when I have famous people. Once in a while, they will, though, they, I will have a thing with them. Yeah. You know, like, because they really enjoy themselves or they just connect or whatever. Just to come back to your book. Yeah. If we have to. Uh, <laughs> you, <laughs> you said that during that period at those parties, where, and then, of course, now you have to put up a, or shut up because you, you don't want to be that guy who, yeah. who is all talk but ultimately never produces. I've done that before. Fortunately, not on a widespread level, but I've 
I have, I've had also some real great ideas. Anyway, during that time, did you also feel the need to research whether this had been done before? Because, you know, it's very possible that, right, that could be, I don't, I wouldn't know. I don't read, I'm not so thoroughly knowledgeable of the uh, science fiction genre that I would know that. Yeah, so yeah, when I was getting ready, over the five years that I was thinking or, or terrified about writing a book, um, but haunted by the inspiration, I did, I did go through and read a lot of sci-fi that I had not read and I reread all of Dune, uh, all of those books. And then- um, The house. And because Frank Herbert- The house uh, was, what was it Oh yeah, House Harkonnen. Oh no, no, Harkonnen. that's his son. I think I think that's his. Oh son. really? I did not read no, those. No, I read I read five Dune books. No, yeah, right. Uh, Only all by Herbert. Right, the ones by Herbert. Um, wow, Dune, um, Frank Children Herbert. of Dune, um, Chapter House Dune, all of those and the ones in between. Um, I went straight through because I felt like that was the closest thing where the world was so complete and everything in it, all the Amazing. the yeah. economy and the trade right. and Well, that's what makes guilds, him brilliant. You know? Yeah, as yeah. opposed to just a good writer. I felt like that was my first duty was to make sure that I was being thorough, as thorough at least as I felt like Frank Herbert or as thorough as I could be to reach that level mm -hmm. um, without probably ever reaching it. But afterwards I did read a lot of Cory Doctorow um, who I think is written some books that really do deal with some of the things that I'm, that I'm writing in theme, this. Theme, thematically? Thematically and technologically, and also the whole idea of merit. Um, Corey actually takes a position that is hard against it, but within a technological framework. So the, the economy that I set up of merit in uh, The Wakeful Wanderer's Guide, that is sort of an anathema to a book like Walk Away, where um, things are much more open, even more hippie, like completely open gifting economy, not tracked, no quid pro quo. And he also explores some of the downsides of that. But yeah, so Walko is a great book, a great example of that. And then right when I was finishing my book, that um, Black Mirror episode came out. Uh, it was a famous one. Uh, down is a downfall. The woman um, is going to a wedding and there's a social, um, there's a social merit program it's combined with money which sort of makes it very evil is that and the one with ron howard's daughter i don't know if that was well see this is the film world so you know, if i was in further in that world i would know immediately who well, his daughter was she's, well, there's the episode where she's walking around and all of a sudden she's completely she some transgression she accidentally yes. transgresses uh -huh. and she's completely her score completely plummets. yes that's totally it. It's like, brilliant. Like, like Mardo happens at one point. Yep. Within the context of this community, his, he transgresses. And it's a disaster. Right. Yeah. right. Yeah. And it's worse too because it's shaming, right? So all the things that we're talking about on Twitter now, I mean, they really hooked into that. And, but I had already worked all that out and I, was, I hadn't finished the book yet. And I was like, if only my book was out first before this you know, TV episode had hit. But mm -hmm. I think this is in the zeitgeist a bit. Mm -hmm. So... At some point, you have to not worry about whether it's a completely original idea and uh, just write your version of it. Just write your take, you know, on it. Uh, even if Cory Doctorow is going to hate you for the, the rest of your life. <laughs> did he take it? Did he have a no, personal no, no. vendetta? No, no, he, never met him. Have... He hasn't read it. Uh, not, oh, okay. not a thing. Just, just me being paranoid. I know. Yeah. 
yeah, so we'll talk about the uh, strategy. I mean, I, I will, I'm only going to be like one early conversation. You should be talking to people that have far more knowledge and experience around strat strategizing, getting your book, the next one out and increasing the scale, you know, of, of the production of it and the publicity of it, et cetera, et cetera, marketing. This is people very much where it, it does hook in with the film world. My concern is as the creator, I just want to make the best possible thing I can make. Well, and, that should be the first priority, but it doesn't right. exclude other. It, it also doesn't uh, guarantee that, that, you know, people will discover it and enjoy it. And that next right. step of people discovering and enjoying it, of course, is, uh, is tremendous with books because they're literally kind of, um, they're taking the world that you created, downloading it into their heads and then right. living in it for a while. Yeah. And that was in your head originally. So there, that, there's nothing like that. It's not, it's 80 times better than writing a song and having people enjoy it. Writing a novel and having people enjoy it is 80 times better. But it's a lot like making a film and having people enjoy it because there's just something about knowing that you, the thing that you thought of is now being thought of, thought in by others. Or by, right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Expanded too, yeah. For sure. Yeah, no, I mean, I think uh, anything is that, you know, the idea of getting the word out or sales or whatever you want, you know, audience size is, is, not, is largely just based on more people learning that it exists. It's kind of right. a formula that works. I mean, you know, until you're famous for it. That will work for just about anybody because there's always going to be a certain number of people interested in exactly what you're trying to do or doing, you know, like yes. if you're writing a book on this particular subject, there's an audience and it's sizable. The size being larger than the audience that bought the first book, because that was, you know, largely based on your follow, your existing following, as well as people that care about you and what you're doing. And then a certain percentage of, you know, people that learned about it, but you, you know, now you build on that. That's all, you know, and then it just always comes to, you know, that's why, well, publicists is so important because they, they are going to increase the size of that audience for you. They're going to learn that these books exist, regardless of reviews, regardless of everything else. Yeah. And it's, it's impossible for me to really think objectively about the work. So, oh, yeah. you know, I'm giving you my interior take uh, on it and, and uh, somewhat, yeah, that's, that's true. You need, you need an interface with the outside world in a sense when you've created something like this. Yeah, right. Yeah, I mean, it's the same with this podcast. I mean, it's the exact same thing. I would have a much bigger audience if I just hired a publicist. Right. Right, which, and if I, I could hire a publicist for the second book. I mean, also, there are plenty of readers who will not touch a book in a series until the whole series is done. They've, like, learned really? a lesson from George R. R. Martin. They're like, never again. <laughs> You're not roping me in this time. Um, but, yeah, I've what? seen that on some chat. Wait, explain what, you, what, what, what did you just refer to? I don't oh, know. George R. R. Martin? Um, and the only so, George Martin I know produced the Beatles. George R. R. Martin. Am I getting the name right? I'm Maybe. paranoid now. He wrote oh. a book called Game of Game of um, Thorns. No, Thrones. Oh, he's the writer of Game of the guy. Wrote. Yeah. So, he, but right. Uh, also a a multimedia adventure. But uh, originally, uh, before that came out, um, again, I was I read I read through up to what he had finished, which is still I think the place that he had finished. Um, uh, and then and and he's promised the next book. You know. So, so people have been really upset about that because they love to live in that world. But I don't know why. It's a horrible world. But um, 
yeah i loved i loved it too and uh but you know a richness can 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 compensate for a lot the richness of 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 a story of a world that you that is created even if it's yeah characters are it's addictive in a weird way yeah exactly sure yeah it's it's creating a fantasy world and it's like that for writing it too there's Mm -hmm. there's a certain living in it that happens right right at a certain point does it clicks at a certain point is that what happened do you feel that's why I was kind of bringing up earlier the um, w- trying to bring up songwriting because I remember once I had my melody and my basic rhythm of a song, I could just put the pen down, I could put the, and I could yes. work on the lyrics and, and just kind of get it exactly right. Just by walking around the streets of New York City, I could just get the song exactly where it needs to be. But, you know, because I was free. I ha- it was going to come. It was all that. It was right. Just, I just had a kind of tap it into it you know because i had gotten over the hardest part which is that first part of the process that's a great description of it because that it is so that's a wonderful feeling i think in songwriting it's it's easier you're really dealing with something much more finite um yeah i i'm also when you're writing uh novels and i'm checking in with other writers now i'm talking a lot with other writers which is really helpful Mm. is um you know the technique that you use to write the first one or 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 part of the second one may not be the right technique for continuing you know maybe you have to swap out uh techniques um originally i would wait for the complete inspiration for a full chapter before typing anything Mm. then i would write the whole chapter in like two to three hours and then i would wait again you know and and that just stopped working for me. Once COVID hit, as especially, it, my brain was so full of anxiety, uh, you know, just about the state of the world. Inspiration was not coming for the individual chapters. So now it's sit down and write for a specified period of time, um, once a day, no matter what. Not a long period of time, but once a day. Mm-hmm. And, and if you don't know what's going to happen, work it out, keep typing, work it out, rewrite it. And, um, and that's what's working right now. With songwriting... It is much more, uh, it kind of plays and plays and plays in your head until it's done, right? Until you've, until you've like hammered out all the messed up parts and the bad rhythm and the, and the rhymes that don't work and you just exactly. hammer and hammer until it's right. done. Yeah. But it stays playing until that happens, you know? Yeah, right. And that's a great, so immediate, you know, that's a really fun yeah. experience. Very gratifying. Um. It seems, it seems in a way almost experienced as a reader because when you're reading a new like book by somebody you don't know they're writing, who, who you don't, of whom you don't, of which you don't know they're writing, I don't know. Anyway, you have a new book and you're just, it takes a little while to get into the rhythm of it because they're presenting a new language, potentially a new world, a new type of writing. And so you're, maybe it takes... 20 pages, sometimes maybe it takes a hundred pages, but you, um, once you get it, once you're there and you're, you're on track and you're in that rhythm, it is a joy because then it's just like, then it, whenever it ends, it's too soon because right. you're, you're just love being in that. It's probably, you experience that obviously. I'd like to think if you can make it four chapters in, you'll finish the book with mine, but it, it is not an immediate 
It's not an immediate gratification. I, I don't know if that was your experience, but when you start yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But then I know from the prior experiences that it, the payoff is usually better. There has to be some faith, you know, mm -hmm. that. Yeah, right. You're exactly. not being led into um, just a mess when you start <laughs> reading and you have no idea what's going on. Right. And my favorite example of that is Neil Stevenson's book, Anathem which I recommend to anyone who, who enjoys being completely in the dark for as long as possible in a book, but then mm -hmm. having the payoff be so great that you yeah. wish you could get your memory wiped so you could go back and read it again without knowing what the hell was going on. Oh, wow. It's that good. Yeah. And I wanted a little of that. I would never be able to write like half a book where you're totally lost, but I wanted like, I wanted a little, just, just two, three, four chapters where you really needed to get up to speed because things were so different. I wasn't relying on you to overlay any of the current re reality on what was happening. Um, I wanted it, I wanted it to really be new. So, mm -hmm. and it was new. I mean, I wanted to not, um, not uh, compromise on, on any of the strangeness. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, it, it, it's true. And it's true. It's exactly right. You have to have kind of a faith that you will eventually click into the track. Um, because at first you're just getting this language and this information and it seems arbitrary and right. there's nothing harnessing it, um, you know, or anchoring it rather. And to, yeah, it's eventually you get there and then it's like, so you just have to say, okay, I'm getting a certain amount of information is form is starting to marinate. And then, you know, all of a sudden you get, and I idea. actually, I explained more than I wanted to originally. I was, I, some of my early readers were like, you have to. <laughs> you have to explain. You really, you can't. They're not going to make it, you know, past this, these four pages if you don't explain a little bit. Right. You edited your book, didn't you? I did, yeah. Right. Which is, fortunately, you were, those people said what they said because normally an editor is the one that kind of will have that conversation with you, I, I have to imagine. That's what they're, they're good at. I was blessed with many early readers. Yeah. They gave me great insight into what was happening. Yeah. So, um, and the editing process was painful. I, I had a series of mishaps where I wasn't able to maintain the editors that I wanted to hire. So I had to do it by myself. Mm -hmm. um, I don't, I think next time I would rather have an editor. Did you have a proofreader? Uh, no. Wow. But I had some methods that I used to, you know, make sure I didn't have two ands next to each other and the commas were more or less in the right place. and. I still, I think I just found another typo, you know, like, like three quarters of the way through. So, um, well that, you know, they're in lies yeah. the uh, danger, but I didn't find it. So good. It's impressive because, um, I don't know anybody who's taken such a, you know, but, but I appreciate your imperative that you must be feeling like this got, has got to get done. I can't, I have to kind of climb over every hurdle and get it done. That's the important thing. Well, yeah, no, Otherwise, and I it's had just going to not happen. Right. And I had a terrifying realization of was crossing the street and I hadn't seen a car and it almost hit me. And that was when I was going around to parties telling everybody about my idea for the novel and I hadn't started writing. And I realized I've got this wonderful thing in my head oh. and I could get hit by a car, you know, and get brain damage or I could die. And then it'll just, all this will just die. Right. And that's the next day. I and then, writing. oh yeah, my kids. Oh, yeah, I didn't um, think about that. <laughs> They'll uh, be fine. They're young, resilient. 
<laughs> the uh, yeah, you down you had to download or upload, I guess, upload this this novel which you have, and again, it's called the Wakeful Wanderer's Guide to New New England and Beyond. Available now on Amazon. I recommend it, man. It was a, a pleasure to read, and um, I'm sorry that I uh, that a move took place in the middle because I kind of got very pulled away. But um, I, I I I read the second half like in one reading, essentially. Oh, awesome! Yeah, I mean it's uh, under. I'm sorry, it wasn't longer. It just you know working on that. It's, yeah, it's a it's an economically written. It's only uh, it's just under 300 pages, so. But, you know, you don't have to write a Frank Herbert. Um, That's right. Even his books got shorter. It was like each one, I think there were a couple that weren't very long. Like, but uh, Dune was pretty yeah. dense. Yeah. But um, it was that one of the great books. Did you read his sons, any of his sons' uh, sequels? Or Yes, and they're good. They um, are? They're just not the same. It's not his... It's not his style. Well, he's a different um, it's person. It's sort of like an imitation of his style, but it's not quite right. Ersatz, um, Frank Herbert. Yeah, <laughs> but, but that's it. Yeah, it's, um, and that's the problem, of course, Christopher Tolkien too. Um, uh, but of course, right? Because only the, only the author, the original author could, could be the original author. And then of course, it, it must be hard, right? If you're, if you're writing for what your dad did. Oh yeah, I mean, the, yeah. the, 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 the bre- brevity, is that the right word? Or the courage? Yeah, is only surpassed by the greed. <laughs> yeah, the vision of the um, yeah. the three prequels are fantastic. Prequels. The world is fantastic, of course. It's been so many years. I, I guess I there. I get just look at synopses or kind of condensed, you know, cheat sheets. Like I read those books uh, in this like uh, in high school. You know, yeah, those Dune books. So it's been like. It's still years. so relevant too. That's what's crazy. Oh my God. Yeah. You read them now and you're like, oh, that, right. I mean, Baron Harkonnen, sure. Or, or Raban, you know, <laughs> reminds me of somebody. Raban reminds me of somebody and Fade Rousey reminds me of somebody too. Plus Are you've got you the kind of the whole gin, oil. Ginger colored Sega. But, oh, right. Yeah. Well, right. The, ro- the war for oil, which is sort of, you know, the spice and, um, and the, right. uh, the fuel. But, um, no, am I saying am I saying that Donald Trump is um, is I don't uh, know because it's been so long since I've read the books I can't remember the character is the beast um, is uh, Raban I'm not saying that at all and I'm not saying that Pence is uh, Fade Rautha either <laughs> okay I'm just saying I he could probably you... play him in a in a you know upcoming sequel mm-hmm. well uh, I think he dies though That's somebody needs to somebody needs to write that um, great this has been well, great. Yeah. Thank you, Adam. I was super thrilled that you read the book. And then, of course, really flattered that you wanted to talk about it. And, you know, I'm a huge fan of your podcast. I think, I think these, are, these are awesome. I listen to them all the time. It's amazing. Yeah, there you go. Because you're, you're not a film. I don't know if you, do you feel as a result like you need to watch them? Or do you feel it's almost beside the point in many cases? Don't I need to watch all the films? No, I mean, there's way more films now than I could possibly watch yeah. in my lifetime that I would want to that I'd want to see if I were to follow up with every one. But what I love is the discussion of storytelling. Yeah. Storytelling is like, you know, it's how our minds work. It's like an it's like an explore. I think your podcast is an exploration of the human brain, the mind, the way it works. We are we are storytelling people, mm-hmm. and 
these are expert uh, storytellers and we get to hear about their process, which I think is fantastic for That's anybody. Who's, kinda, you know. Don't let me interrupt your compliments. Oh, uh, yes. So for it, anybody who's creating, I think uh, also uh, for anybody who uh, just loves the process of storytelling. That's why I kind. That's why I like to invite. That's why I like to also. I, I almost wish I hadn't called it film wax because, um, which started as a, ser a film series. So it, it was sort of like the idea originally was to kind of promote that, but then very quickly I realized, oh, this operates on a whole other. This is actually the primary thing. You know, the film series. If I do that, should promote the podcast. You know, it's like I'm not even joking. It's like it became clear that the audience for this. And this, I'm talking about eight or nine years ago. Was, yeah, was was uh, clearly this was the platform that I. I uh, but the, even at the film series, it wasn't so much the screening as the conversation afterwards with the filmmakers, or you know that I would. I wasn't showing screenings without bringing filmmakers. So the idea was that the engagement with the filmmakers and the people and the audience that you know and you know it would have made sense just to have the conversation in the middle of the room, not in on a platform, you know, because it's all about just talking about storytelling. And so I kind of almost wish that's why I have on musicians and authors, because I feel like um, it should be something like storyteller wax. <laughs> I don't know. Well, no, you've got film and wax and you right. can make up any kind of bullshit story about what wax means. So yeah, uh, which is exactly what I've done. Cause people ask him, the truth, it's, and I'm sure you heard my explanation, because it, it's always asked of me every so often on the podcast, I'll just say, well, wax means thinking and talking about something, but actually it's not even how I discovered, how I invented it. I just, just thought, I was thinking, film something, I was walking around, yeah, it's a like I do when process. we're writing, when yeah. we're processing, yeah. you know. A rhythm uh, going, yeah. Right, and I just thought, what would be a good name that would pop a little bit and sound like something interesting and people would want to, tap into and I just came out film wax it meant I had no idea what it meant it was just arbitrary I think those that. things are great because then the meaning kind of you know evolves on builds it. Yeah. over time yeah without right. you your your conscious mind getting in the way no it's fine and also yeah. it's your damn podcast so just put whatever exactly. you want exactly <laughs> that's right exactly <laughs> well you know it's like Josh came on Rouse and he said uh oh I was thinking about you know film and you know I guess he felt a little pressured almost like why to talk to figure out because he's written some songs that have been in films that's and that would be well right plenty oh, well like mike viola right i mean you know some great wow. songs well that's great films. A, well he could have made a living just on that I mean, yeah uh, because of his and he had some major films he was yeah and i josh is a is a huge talent but and mike viola i think might even be less known than joshua i don't know because he's not as big of a touring he doesn't tour relentlessly is he a songwriter songwriter i mean for me he really he, for he's me, a producer he's you know? i would yeah. think he would consider himself first and foremost a producer almost because yeah. he's produced so many great people but um you know oh and i want to say for your listeners he and my friend ducky carlisle were in a group called the major labels oh they yeah have one I, have album album. Out. I have it you do i love that album it's Aqua on a cardboard uh, like Aqua a Viva. Yeah. isn't it just like on a it might have been an insert. They 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 pressed it like not that many of them. But I have it. It's such a great album. It's so good. It is ear candy. It's um and no anything that these guys do, I'm I'm interested in anything. I just love. I think Mike Viola is 
um, since you brought him up. I think he's, you know, in the pantheon. He, he is such an understanding of production and of songwriting craft. He's just amazing. And a singer of his song, and as a singer yes. of his own material, he's just an unbelievable singer. Yeah. Yeah. So I can't say enough good things about him. And I love, you know, I, I appreciate that not every, you know, he hasn't been compromised, but, you know, <laughs> it's at his own, you know, financial detriment in the sense that I'm sure he does fine because he's a successful producer as well, but he, you know, let's face it. Uh, but when he came out Sony, I'm like, I'm like, this guy, not going to last. I just recorded, I just played my, on uh, on the phone, I put it on the, the, the or we went, went to summer camp together and I posting songs on there or something. Well, I put it on my Facebook too. Um, I played a Michael Penn song. Oh yeah. His, his first and maybe only major hit. Right. Uh, no Romeo myth. and Black Jeans. Yeah. No myth. Right. This is yeah. a song. Right. Yeah. I just played that one. But uh, you know, I'm an enormous fan of his stuff too. Um, and he's married to Amy, Amy Mann. Yep. Yeah. Uh, but I thought he was every bit as, um, talented as she was and she's in oh and she's incredible i mean uh incredible i'm gonna i'm gonna uh was it i'm with stupid i think yeah I think that's what yeah and that album early albums yeah could not i could not stop playing that one i i i apologize if you know anybody's listening and they're like but they have newer albums it's like yeah, okay I but i you know yeah. these stuck in my head and i'm an old guy now so that yeah. happens well there's like an uh a Michael Penn album, and um, that is like that as well, which I just could not stop listening to. It was like one of these flawless, uh, rather, albums from start to finish. And I'm going to find the name of it just so I don't botch it. Um, I think it's Resigned. I think that's the one. I think it's called Resigned. Yeah. I don't know. Any of them are are unbelievable. He's another great guy. But an Amy Mann too. She's had a couple of others that are are are. There was the album she did after Magnolia, mm-hmm. soundtrack to Magnolia. But yeah, her, her original that Magnolia soundtrack. She's got like three or four songs on that are well known. And then they put on, of course, other songs like from you know like Super Tramp and I don't you know it's just like. A, but if the album that she did afterwards had a couple of those Save Me and a couple of other songs from that period that and then it's another one that's just unbelievably perfect just good great. yeah good music yeah well if you whatever you're turned on by now i'm always interested in being introduced to uh people so not to put you on the spot just in general yeah i know it's funny i'm i'm um I, i'm not hanging out with anybody right now i'm, I'm sort of uh home and no, i don't uh, mean that i mean listening to stuff you know no i know i i need to i need to get re-inspired musically i'd like to hear something new that will knock me away in that same kind of storyteller mode that that you know the songs that we're talking about do um and uh because it's it's always good it's always it's the best thing in the world to have your you know your doors blown open and that gives you a bunch of new ideas well when you're performing around and you were playing clubs and venues and you were probably put on before after any number of people over the years or touring with uh, in a you know or doing a festival and you must, you know, occasionally get blown away by somebody. All of a sudden, there's Ben Folds or somebody like just unbelievable. Who's... Yeah. Well, then there's there's also these moments we don't have right now, where it's like hanging around the living room with a bottle of wine, listening to. Yeah. Right. And I've never right. heard it before, and oh my god. 
um, that, how many albums have I heard that way that that opened a whole new world? Um, and right now, it's just not really happening like that. The online thing, how much Zoom can we take? Um, it starts to it starts to get exhausting. Not yeah. this, of course. No, no, I know this. You, I could do all the, day. Li- the home concerts or the live. Yeah. Stuff. Um, yeah. Well, being at this new place, uh, I've just been you know, pulling out all my music. In fact, uh, uh, you know, from my years in the music industry, I just have a, an enormous amount of music, uh, which I, as much as I try to weed through it over and over and over, I just, just have way too many. And I, I have a cousin who's going to bring up another whole tub of stuff I had at my aunt's house. Uh, but, you know, there might be a couple of big Jim B. Egos in there too. Because, oh, cool. Uh, I have if there's anything you don't have, I'll send you. Oh yeah, no, I don't have a. Please, I, I'm. Uh, I think I only have two or three. Oh okay. So I definitely there's there's definitely two or three I don't have. How many albums have you finished? You have seven. There are seven you're missing. Wow. Oh yeah. So, so I don't have the majority of them. Yeah. I know I have this one, and then there's one with a dog on it. Yeah, there's a dog. Yeah, that's the that's the last one we were able to get in the studio and do before okay. I had kids. So um, I'm missing we'll, we'll the majority go then. Yeah, stay uh, is the last one. You probably don't have there everywhere. No Place Like Nowhere, Don't Get Smart, More Songs About Me. Those are the Jim Spigigo ones. And then there's some solo ones before that. Well, as we, you know, in, in coming in and out of this, this segment, at least the audio podcast version, we'll be playing some of the music as well. So oh, great. people can, and, you know, you can let me know which ones you think might work best for that. Uh, but cool. people can find your music just about anywhere people stream music, I say. Yep, I've got, I mean, I should tell you I have three websites if you're going to put put that up yeah this. let's just go through all the way people find your so you're there's also a web designer by the way right so that's why i have three websites because I, I can't know. decide on one um. no you should <laughs> i think you should split them up i think that's the wise way to go so there's me me uh me the song the the songwriter author mostly not the meditation instructor but songwriter author uh is jiminfantino.com easy uh, Infantino is spelled like it sounds, I-N-F-A-N-T-I-N-O. And then um, BigEgo.com is for Jim's Big Ego. And Wakeful Wanderer, Wanderer, WakefulWanderer.com. Oh, wow. I didn't the book. even know that. Okay, I, I didn't know that was a website. Oh, it is. And you're on it because uh, oh. I ask people who read it, read the book to send me a picture of them reading the book. And oh, I was I wondering what you that did with that. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I gotta, I'll check it out. And now you have a link you can put on there with the, or you will shortly with the... That's right, to this interview, very, which I'll post very, on. I don't know if you do that, but... Um, I'll post on all of them. Nice. Yeah, I want your... Then we can get... Maybe we can get, like, uh, Dar on the show eventually. She's an author. She's an author-songwriter. So you're, like, you're moving into, the, like, the literary world. I don't know yeah. that she's a filmmaker. She may be. Well, as we already said, I have a, a, a bunch of my favorite musicians are been coming on. I, I also had uh, another guy I like a lot. He's all about vibe, though. He's, he's really very different is uh, this guy. He's also collaborated with R.E.M. or at least Peter Buck. Oh, right. Joseph Arthur, who, oh, yeah. who I love. And, uh, who, um, and I, you know, I know him a bit through, through the podcasting. And he has his own podcast, which I think you would love, by the way. He's a bit, I don't know, it, it's interesting. I'd be curious to know what you think of his, it's called Come to Where I'm From. It's the name of his podcast. And he, You he mentioned on, it. 
You he mentioned most, it, and oh, I think I loaded it up, but I haven't listened to it yet because I was well, really going on like a film wax tear, tear. for a while. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Well, um, yeah, I don't know. It's a maybe, maybe I don't know. Uh, he's yeah. You, you you check it out. We'll see. Give it okay. a few different listens to you know maybe. Uh, I wonder if Josh it. Josh might know him because yeah, Josh literally does tour with Peter Buck and Josh Rouse. in the baseball project. Josh, Josh, you're, oh, you're a guy. Yeah. They may have. Well, their um, album was called Arthur Buck. Oh, okay. Great name for their album. And uh, I think they may be doing another thing at some point. Uh, but he was originally signed by, discovered by Peter Gabriel, which oh. very odd. And he was on the Real World label. So his first album, and occasionally he still does some, some stuff with them. But he like, but he sounds nothing like Peter, Peter Gabriel at all. Not at all. But he's a, uh, He's a he's an incredible artist too, though he's a painter, like maybe even a better painter than his stuff. I mean, this is all his work. Oh, cool! I mean, it's all. He's uh, a creator, creates yeah, stuff. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, but just unbelievable. Anyway, it's exciting, to exciting to find those. One almost one o'clock. I know how we've been. This is the thing, right? We talk too much, you and I. No, no, not it's too much. podcasting. Good. All right, Let's talk. It's <laughs> one day. It's interesting how we've evolved, though. That's a whole other discussion, but there's a, a thread. People, a lot of people. I mean, what is Joe Rogan doing? I don't what know. Is he, he's doing three-hour conversations. Really? Okay. Well, not all of them, but some of them are over three. I mean, there are a number of podcasts that are just bringing on somebody, having an interesting conversation, and there people like listening to it. That's true. I do. Yeah. I don't watch, I get, you know, like I'll go through, I'll watch some episodic stuff or some movies. I get tired of it. And then all I want to do is I'll put on YouTube, you know, and I just let the podcast go. And yeah. I like the ones that are, have the video component actually like Joe does. And I mean, I don't listen to all, I listen to only once in a while. Or Joseph Arthur does a very nice production. These are video tapes. I'll check that out. Yeah. Anyway. Cool. So, and then we'll do this again, maybe over specifically over some films. We can do that. My we'll do goal that. is to get the returns next to my name in the listing on your website. Oh, do you right. Know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Sure. Infantino returns. Returns. That, that is what I'm aspiring to. So, but what do you um, do after they've been on several times? Do you just keep returns? I don't, I, that's you up can. to you. I don't know. I don't yeah. always do it. I don't always do it, but the returns, yeah, that's. Uh, a little, it's just almost like a, I don't know, it's a, it's a, it's a, a sad way of trying to suggest my show so popular, people are wanting to come back on. They, <laughs> it's like, they are, aren't they? They return. They do. Like, oh, another thing I do is Film Wax Radio Friend or Film Wax Friend, which is somebody who's been on more than once. So, because then they become part of it. Coming on once can be arbitrary almost, not in this case, but, um, one time can be just like, you know, they're going through the motion. But if they come back a second time, that usually means that, you know, they didn't have an unpleasant experience. They're chummy at that yeah. point. Yeah. Right. Film wax chums. Um, <laughs> and there's a few people that have been on a lot. I'd like to, I like, I like that a lot. Well, I like that. Actually, um, it's actually really cool. If you, if you listen to a great podcast, I was actually thinking of a Chris Hayes one that was, had referenced a, an earlier uh, conversation with the same person. Of course, I'd like this particular one so much. I want to then seek out the one before. 
Mm -hmm. um, because sometimes some of those conversations are just sort of so uh, groundbreaking um, that you want to kind of know more about that person, that guest that came in. Right. So I think the returns is good because then you know that you can go back in the list right. and find the earlier talk. Well, I wish I, I wish I had a better way of getting the YouTube channel out there because um, I think I also mentioned that when I have on somebody multiple times, I can create a playlist. So I have these playlists on the Filmworks Radio YouTube channel and the playlist, you can, I put all of the segments, I just encapsulate the, I isolate rather the segment itself. I don't have any intros, no mm. other interstitial music, nothing. It's just the conversation edited, but it's just the conversation. And so I'll, if like somebody's on four or five times, I'll create a playlist of all of the segments and call it, you know, Jim Infantino on Filmwax Radio and it's packaged together. So you could actually go on YouTube, play it and listen to sometimes hours of conversation with one person over a span of many years oh, on multiple cool. projects or whatever they're doing, you know. So that's one other nice benefit of doing something like this for years is that you, you know, I have people now on with their third, fourth films, um, you know, some people are especially prolific. Well, can, I, can I foreshadow our, our, our my possible returns? Um, the, uh, it's pretty guaranteed. We, uh, I suggested two movies to Adam that he hadn't seen. And he actually hadn't seen them. And he suggested two to me, uh, which he could have just done at random and I wouldn't have, <laughs> I wouldn't have seen them. Um, but yeah, so we have two films to, dis uh, four films to discuss, mm -hmm. uh, each of which, two of which each of us have not Scene. There's grammar implied in what I said, but it's not actually there. Well, I already discussed uh, the condun, condun, condun. Yes, with with somebody else. I just oh, you did. So we need to find you another one. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. That's right. gonna be hard. I'm just joking. Oh, well, thank God. You had me. <laughs> no, there's no. lots I haven't seen, but that and that you haven't. Oh no, that you have and I haven't. Yeah, that possibly. But. Or but we could, it doesn't have to be something I've never seen. It could be just something I just haven't seen in many years. Because right. I, trust me, I don't retain it usually. I try to go back to a lot of movies over and over over the years um, so I can discuss them particularly. Well, I will. We'll okay. see. We'll see how this one, how the next, uh, the foreshadowing returns uh, okay. works out. This was great fun, though. I enjoyed it. I, I did, too. I could do yeah, this all day. So it would be I know. Bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we'll be in touch in the next few minutes, I guess. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully right, Adam. the audio. Hopefully, the audio came out. We'll have to do it again. We can just do the exact same thing. Oh yeah, okay? I've got it down. I marked it. <laughs> <laughs> Alrighty. All right. See you. Take care. All right. Bye bye. Take care. Human beings alike kissing other human beings. Depravity is all around us. To lick and to bite other pretty human beings. Lord, save us all from depravity. And human beings alike feeling dizzy all the time. Depravity is all around us. So they smoke weeds and flowers and they drink beer and wine. Gravity. But I just want to feel good
Coming up on the podcast, so much great stuff. We have the filmmaker Rick Burns with his new documentary about Oliver Sacks, which was wonderful. We have coming up also a celebration of, you remember the New York Press? If you were a New Yorker, you remember this alternative news weekly. Uh, there was three film critics in that newspaper, two of whom have been on the show before, but we're having all three on the podcast. Armand White making his first appearance on the podcast, along with Matt Zoller-Seitz and Godfrey Cheshire. All three will be talking about their days at the New York Press and film criticism in a more general way. It's a fascinating and really entertaining segment, and I'm very uh, proud of it. We have Cresha Fairchild coming up, um, old friend of the podcast, actor. Frank Mosley as well. We have Hampton Fancher, who wrote Blade Runner, and Blade Runner 2049, he's coming on. Uh, we have coming up filmmakers Liz Garbus returning to the podcast after a bunch of years, along with Lisa Cortez and their documentary All In, The Fight for Democracy, about voter suppression. You don't want to miss that. And editor friend Michael Taylor. You know, that's just scratching the surface because you know I'm, I podcast way too much. But it's all for you, my friends. Okay, so take care of yourselves and the ones you love until next time. This is Adam Sharptoff, your host of Film Wax Radio. Broken line.